All right. We're going to get into the Word. Band doing such a phenomenal job. Why don't you go take a seat, and we're going to dive into this. Um, I, I love that we get to just dive into a book of the Bible, um, because it means that I can just keep one or two pages open in, in my actual Bible and read from it, as opposed to try and find it on my phone or make a whole bunch of lists of things. Um, but yeah, we're going to really, really dive deep uh, into the Scriptures tonight. And for those who are here for the first time, um, and as a recap for those who were here last week, we, uh, we explored the first section of Ephesians, looking at our position in Christ, uh, our, our, our position being seated with Him. We, we looked at the Pastor John spoke about the background, the, all the context, the historical context of the book of Ephesians, when it was written, who it was written to, why it was written. And we, we summarized the uh, last week, I feel, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, and it says this, but because of His great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And I love this next line. I feel like it summarizes last week. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we unpacked this idea that when we receive Christ, God's free gift of grace personified. You and I in a moment, not because of anything that we've ever done, not because of whether or not we deserve it, God just because of His grace seats us in a place of relationship, seats us in a place of authority, seats us in a place where we can know God, where we can know God. And it's, it's by grace. It's just this, that we get adopted into the family of God and we are welcomed in all the spiritual blessings that come alongside that. We unpacked that last week. And it's, I love that idea that we are justified before God, meaning that when God pulls up His standard of righteousness, His perfect, perfect way of living, when He, when in Christ, when He puts us next to that, that standard, in Christ, we completely and perfectly fulfill it. He, we, we are completely exempt from whatever our past looked like, everything that would previously disqualify us from eternal life. In Christ Jesus, in a moment, it is done away with. When God looks at you and I, through the lens of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, we are, He looks at us like we are perfect. He looks at us like we are blameless, innocent children of Him through Christ. It's such a beautiful thing, to, to, and it's, it's the foundational thing of what we believe as Christians. And I want to encourage you, if you have yet to, uh, if you weren't here last week or you want to refresh yourself on what was spoken about, go and listen to that podcast because I know it will really bless you. But we're going to dive into the next session, section of the book of Ephesians, namely specifically uh, chapters 4 and 5, because Paul kind of takes a bit of a, he shifts from this painting the picture of all the blessings and our status and our position in Christ. And in uh, Ephesians 4, chapter 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's in the New uh, international version, and I don't often read from this uh, translation, but I like how it puts it, the Passion uh, Translation or Paraphrase, however you want to call it, says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given to you in your divine calling. So what I'm going to be talking about as I unpack chapters 4 and 5 with us tonight is moving from, not moving from, because we always have this uh, position of justification in Christ, but that's like the foundation. What do, we, what do we, how do we build upon that foundation? How do we walk out this newfound faith in Christ Jesus? And 
as a married man, I actually see this paradigm taking, uh, taking place in my life where um, I have a legal document as proof that Joel and I are married. We are a family. We are, a, we are one entity. Praise the Lord. It's, it's, not, it's not fake. It's real. I wake up and I've got that gorgeous wife next to me and it's legal. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Praise God. However, I love that, or rather, I don't love that the, uh, that legal document does not automatically make me a great husband. It doesn't, like the moment on the 21st of March, 2020, did not automatically make me perfect marriage material. In fact, it actually just began the journey of me learning how the heck to be a husband, how the heck to love this woman and all, and all of the multiplicities in which I can do that, how to love her with my time, how to love her with every area of my life. And, uh, and it's the same in our relationship with Christ. The moment that you and I place our faith in Jesus, yes, pos- positionally in Christ, we are seen as perfect, but it, all it takes is one moment where you get cut off by someone in traffic to know that we are yet to experience that in its fullness in this life. We are yet to experience it in its fullness. And so our position in Christ ultimately is meant to actually transform the way that we live. If we are to be saved in Christ, ultimately a saved person is a changed person. When you encounter eternal life in Christ Jesus, when you come to know His love, we cannot stay the same. And so we are, we're going to just unpack together through the Scriptures what it means to walk holy. How do we live out this salvation, this lifelong journey? And so firstly, we walk it out by actually meditating on our status. The, we can't live out Ephesians 4 and beyond without having a revelation, a true revelation of Ephesians 1 to 3. When we, when we talk about walking holy, walking with Christ, there's two traps that we can fall into, this idea of living a holy life. We can fall into two traps. One is a works-based faith. Uh, this idea of I, 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 I do everything that I do to try and earn my salvation. And the Bible makes it pretty clear that our attempts to do that will ultimately fall flat on its face because even our righteousness is seen as dirty rags in God's eyes. Even at our peak, we do not measure up to God's standards. And when we, when we cultivate this idea, oh, I've got to try and earn God's salvation, it'll leave us weary and it'll leave us constantly never measuring up because His standard is perfection. But on the flip side, we can actually go and live out a faith without works, a faith that says, oh, God saved me on the cross, so that's all that's needed. I can continue to live life my own way. And both is a false gospel. That's not, as Christians, how we are meant to walk out our faith. And it actually, in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, it, it kind of captures this paradigm in a really beautiful way. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here we see Paul explaining to us that we aren't saved by anything that we do. That is really good news, because on the daily, we don't measure up. So it's not by works. That's not the measuring stick to, to how we receive salvation. It is through the free gift of God's love and grace and mercy towards us. But on the flip side, you and I in Christ are then created to live out this life of good works and deeds. So it's, it's not that we stop or don't try to do good things, but the motivation shifts. It's not from a place of trying to earn it, but rather from a place of having received it, we walk it out. And so if we don't have a revelation of that, it'll dis- distort our Christianity. We'll begin to just, uh, yeah, we'll just, our motivations will shift and ultimately 
it'll compromise the reason why we we're saved in the first place, and that is Jesus. When we, when we try to do all the works or when we try to live out our own way of life, we remove Jesus from the picture and ultimately remove the source of our salvation. And for me, this was something that I took, it took me a while to grasp. Um, because of my distorted image of a father figure, I, I fell probably more into the works-based uh, Christianity constantly. I was constantly trying to live up to that perfect standard, trying to earn God's love, as I hadn't grasped the truth of the Scripture. But over the past probably five years, as I began to understand the, the grace of God, as I began to meditate on this Scripture, um, I would take a hold of it, and on the daily, I'd have to remind myself, as I woke up, because I'd wake up with guilt and condemnation, knocking at the door, just going, hey, man, you're not measuring up. You've got to try harder. You've got to keep hustling. You've got to pray more. You've got to stop doing this, 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 and this, and then the list would go out the door because it was that long. But I would begin to meditate on the Scripture and be reminded of the fact that grace is how I, is the source, is the foundation, it's the building block in which I walk out, and it's not from a place of guilt and condemnation, but from a place of love and having received grace that I walk it out. So for you and I, before we begin to unpack what it looks like to walk out that faith, we need to plant ourselves, build our lives upon Christ and Christ alone, what He did on the cross, not any of our own merit, and from receiving on a daily basis, meditating on, on His grace, His limitless grace extended to us, that we then begin to walk it out. So we've got to meditate upon our status. You've got to read, and I would encourage you as we go through this, uh, this series this month, read Ephesians 1 through 6 sequentially, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and get a grasp of Ephesians 1 to 3, and then let that, let that influence how you read Ephesians 4. We've got to meditate on our status before we walk it out. Secondly, we walk out our faith, this lifelong journey of faith, in the context of community. So when you read Scripture, just so, that, just so you know, it's helpful to know um, who's being written to and what the context, again, of what the Scripture is being, uh, where, of who's, read, uh, who's writing it, who's receiving it. So the book of Ephesians isn't written to an individual, but to a church. So everything that we read has got to be filtered through the context of the local body of Christ. It's, we often can read Scripture, and God will highlight stuff that speaks specifically to us, but the book of Ephesians wasn't actually written for you. The book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus, and we as outsiders get to read in and apply it to our lives. But everything that Paul writes happens and is within the context of the body of Christ. Now, think about this for a second. Uh, if I'm a body and I want to get stronger, does it make sense for me to lop off uh, my right arm and then throw it at a gym and go, go lift weights? Does that make sense? No. Okay. Same if I were just like, okay, I'm just going to rip out my bowels and go take it to, to a surgeon and go, but I'm just going to keep living my life and hope that just that my digestive system is going to go all right. That does not make sense, does it? And if you and I together are the body of Christ, how can we possibly ever grow into the fullness of Christ in isolation outside of the body of Christ? When we, when we separate ourselves from the local body, it is literally like lopping off your arm and trying to get it stronger by throwing it at a gym. It doesn't make sense. And when you and I enter the body of Christ, the Bible actually talks about, I'm, I'm going to read it now in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's all of us together, may be built up until we all reach unity 
in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then this next verse, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, speaking, jumping down to verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. So, when we enter into into a relationship with God, we are adopted into the family of Christ. And this, the, the Scriptures call us infants in that when we enter a relationship with Jesus, we don't really know what we're doing. Um, we, we start off as infants in need of sustenance. And I don't know about you, but a baby doesn't live for very long without the right sustenance from its mother. It doesn't grow up and learn how to be a part of the family without the older siblings, the parents, the extended family, providing it the nutrients that it needs if it can't grab it for itself, or um, also to teach the, the rules, the layout of the land, how the family functions. And so for you and I, when we when you, are, when you are adopted into the family of God through Christ Jesus, you need your brothers, your sisters, the, the, the leadership, those around you in close proximity to you, those who are more mature in the faith to lead you into a place of maturity. And that's what I, what I love about verse 11. It talks about the, God Himself gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all unique giftings of leadership in the context of the body of Christ that help us to become who God's called us to be. And without those voices in our lives, I think of evangelists uh, like Pastor Teresa as an amazing evangelist. I think of pastors like Pastor Dan, Pastor Josh, Pastor Rod Frecker, Pastor Sharon, who is also a teacher as well, apostles like our very own Pastor John and Danielle, who operate in their, gift, in their gifting so that all of us together as the one body of Christ can grow into maturity, can walk out our faith together. And so I want to encourage you tonight, if, you're, if you have yet to establish yourself in a, in a local family context, in the body of Christ, do it immediately. Because without, without those people around you, without being grafted into the body of Christ, without being adopted, you don't fully grasp how to live in the family of God, how to, how to live in the, in the kingdom. We're royalty. You can't disconnect yourself from royalty if you're royalty and learn how to live like royalty. You must be grafted together. We walk out our faith in the context of community, in the context of community. And I know for me, I wouldn't be where I am today without, without leaders speaking into my life, without connect groups to go and be uh, real and to ask the questions and to dive into the Scriptures together and to be encouraged in my faith and, and, you know, the dream team to equip me to find my gifts and discover what it is to serve Jesus with my giftings. And uh, just, as a, just while I have serving in mind, if you are already serving in the house of God or feel stirred to begin serving and to, to just immerse yourself into the family of God, Dream Team United is coming up in two Tuesdays time, it's 22nd of August. Come along to that because that's where, in a context of prayer and worship, gathering together with fellow servants for Christ, we get equipped and we get taught and we, we grow together in our faith. So I encourage you to come along to that. That's a side note. We walk out our faith in the context of community, in the context of community. And then my third point, to walk out our faith, to walk with Jesus, is to walk like Jesus. Ephesians 4, 17 says this. Paul's saying, uh, speaking to the church, and he says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Whenever you read 
stuff like that in the context of Scripture, Paul's really trying to drive home a point. It's like, don't miss what I'm about to say. If he says something and then says, I say it again, or I really, like, I, I urge you, take a hold of it, because what's, what's about to come is important. He says that, uh, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So when we receive Jesus, when we receive forgiveness of sins, ultimately we are also then called to live the life, to leave the life that He saved us from. Uh, we can no longer, when we receive Christ, continue to live life our own way. Because it's in the same way that if whenever you, I don't know if you remember like having sleepovers at friends' places and you'd go over to their place and it was like whatever the rules of the parents were, regardless of what you, the rules were at your house, you lived underneath their rule, their house, their rules. And sometimes that was awesome if you had like a super strict family and you went to a less strict family. Sometimes it was the other way when you came from a less strict family into a more strict family. Regardless, their house, their rules. House of God, his house, his rules. His, he because he is the head of the house, because he has established it, because he has birthed it, he gets to set the standard. He gets to set the way in which we live. And so he, out, he outlines it before he actually paints a picture of what that all looks like. He, he better clarifies it in verse 20 to 24. It says, that, however, is not the way uh, of life you learn, speaking of living the life the way that the world calls us to live. That was the life that the Gentiles, that's, that's that word Gentile, you can substitute it for the ways of the world, essentially. Um, so that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. So, before we actually establish what it looks like, we need to recognize that living like Jesus, before it's doing a thing, it's actually a heart transformation. The, the, Jesus didn't die so that we could have better behavior and to shift our attitude. He actually came to make us completely new creations, to put on a brand new self and to remove from us the, the, the self that is just hell-bent towards destruction, that even on its best day is still imperfect, still leads us to, to places of depression, anxiety, guilt, condemnation, rage, all those kinds of things. When we take hold of that in our own, in our own way, when we live life our own way, Christ calls us to take that off to change the way that we think about our way of living, about Christ's way of living, and to put on the new self that Christ Himself died so that we could receive. So it's actually a transformation of our heart, transformation of our being, of our motivations, and from there we live it out. And from there we live it out. And so uh, just throughout, if you want to look specifically as to what all of this, uh, all those specific things look like, as to how we live for Christ, read Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, but I'm just going to kind of highlight a couple things just so that we know, without a shadow of a doubt, this is what Scripture says living for Christ looks like. So firstly, putting off the old self means getting rid of a hardened heart. It means getting rid of greed, getting rid of falsehood. We no longer steal, but we provide, uh, we productively contribute to society and share with those in need. So from from operating from a place of greed and getting everything that we can, we actually generously give. Uh, we get it, The Scriptures encourage us to stop unwholesome talk, 
which is, which is different from just like humor, but that's actually like cutting people at the knees with our words. Um, with banter, that is actually meant to try and sting a little. We've, and, and even just like crude types of humor that objectify and demoralize the new self that Christ purchased for us. When, when we receive that new self, we've got to talk about ourselves the way our Lord does. That's essentially what is being, what is being highlighted there. He, he highlights that not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed must remain within us if we are to be the new creation in Christ. And we got to remove, uh, we got to stop concealing our shortcomings, but, in, but instead live a life of transparency. So that's putting off the old self. And I'm so thankful that Christianity isn't a whole bunch of just don'ts. It is also, what are we moving towards? What is the new self that we actually put on and are transformed into? It's speaking truthfully. It's resolving disputes as opposed to letting anger just boil up on the inside and causing us to do stupid things. To be kind and compassionate and to forgive one another. Man, and I know Pastor Teresa talked about that this morning, the, the power of forgiveness and how crucial it is in the body of Christ to forgive. I would encourage you to go and listen to that when that podcast comes out. But ultimately... What I love about the book of Ephesians is if all we had was Ephesians 4, this list of this is the way that we have to live, without anything else, it'd be pretty hopeless. Because again, when we look at all of those different things, and even right now as I said that list, maybe a few things were highlighted in your own life that was like, okay, hold up, you're telling me that that's not the way to live. And what I love about the grace of God is He doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, He actually destroys the power of sin at work in our lives. He destroys its power, and He gives us power to live it out. He doesn't just set all this this standard before us and go, give it your best shot. Read this with me in Ephesians 3, verse 16. It says this, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's the foundation that we live our lives from, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then moving down to verse 20, it says, Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we, all, than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power, according to His power that is at work within us. And that power, Ephesians 1 actually tells us, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so if we are to take that at its word, the same power that resurrected Jesus in human bodily form is at work in us now to live out the life that He's called us to live. And so if you are currently, as, I've, as I read out those things, that we are called to live out. If you're discouraged, be encouraged because God Himself empowers you to live it out. You don't have to do it alone. You've got to ask yourself the question, which is more powerful? My, the power of sin at work in my life or the power of God that raised Christ from the dead? And so if ever, at any point in your life, you find yourself, oh, I just can't get free of this thing. I, I, don't, I don't want to or I just can't see myself changing that habit. Remember the power that is at work in you through Christ. 
God is not just, doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, but breaks the power of it over our lives so that we, where we previously didn't have the power to say no, now we can say no because Christ is at work in us. God, creator of the universe, is at work in you and I to make us holy, to make us holy so that we can live out this journey of faith. And so what's left for us to do? To receive that grace in our lives to remind ourselves to take a hold of the free gift of grace. It's extended to us in Christ Jesus daily to believe in Him and to invite Him on a daily basis. When you've got things that you're stuck with, when you anticipate it's going to be a rough day or when you find yourself just kind of doing the grind of trying to live for God, remind yourself on the daily, God, it's your grace. It's your power at work in my life. I invite you, Lord, in that area that I'm currently stuck right now with that relationship that I'm really wrestling with, whatever it is, Lord, would you help me today to live for you? And if you would incorporate that into your daily life, you would actually begin to see a shift. And I saw that in my life, 10 years of battling with lust that I didn't think I'd ever get free of. And I just began to invite God on the daily. God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need your grace, your power at work in my life to get free of this. And here I am, and I am, I am free of it. It was a journey, though. It was a journey, daily surrender, daily submission. But ultimately, if you were to leave with anything tonight, I hope you would know this, that God's grace is all you need in this life.